Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Optimal Me's first podcast. In this crazy time in the world of lockdown and self-isolation, um, personally, I'm in today nine of our very serious lockdown, um, and I'm delighted that I've managed to um, get Dr. Anthony Tarbiton, a clinical psychologist that specializes in anxiety and relationships, um, two things I think we're all spending a lot of time thinking about right now in whatever situation we're facing. Um, and he's come to have a chat with us so that we can pick his brains and get some inputs from him about how we can all start thinking about anxiety and understand it better um, and really some practical steps, hopefully, for how we can get through this. Um, Ant is a clinical psychologist and has more than 30 years of experience in private practice. So hi, Dr. Tarbiton, and welcome to The Optimal Me. Hello, Liz, and uh, thanks for having me on The Optimal Me. Um, I can hear that you have got some beautiful rain pouring over you, wherever you are right now. Um, we're having a very gray and rainy weekend here. Um, so for anyone who's listening, that is the gorgeous sound of rain that you hear in the background on Anthony's thatch roof. Um, at his practice. So um, just enjoy the sound. Um, and I know that you're working really hard right now and that um, you're, you're consulting nonstop. So thanks for, for making this time for us. Um, first up, maybe we can just like talk about what what anxiety actually is, because I think it's a word that, that is used a lot all over the place. Um, and now, of course, in this time of Corona and COVID-19, you know, we all maybe are experiencing it in a different way than we have before. Um, yeah, Liz, anxiety is um, it's one of the main things that we're dealing with in therapy at the moment, because um, anxiety really is an emotional reaction um, to a stimuli. So when there's a trigger in someone's life, and a trigger could be absolutely anything external, um, or even internal, which is then translated in a particular way in the brain, which creates a physiological reaction. And the reaction with anxiety is where enormous amounts of adrenaline or small amounts of adrenaline are secreted into the blood. So what actually happens is when you translate an external event internally into your head as something which might feel threatening, your brain cre creates adrenaline. And adrenaline is a neurotransmitter which actually gets your body to react in a range of physiological ways. So the heart would start beating a little bit faster. The stomach might not. Um, the lips might get a little bit dry. The skin pallor could shift slightly. You may start sweating a little bit. So adrenaline is really the chemical which is created when the brain interprets something as threatening. And that is effectively what we call anxiety. So, I mean, I just think about myself and, and kind of my levels of anxiety. Um, I, I live and, and have always sort of had really high levels of anxiety, I think, and I, I manage it kind of my day-to-day -day life, especially around my work, quite well. So for me, the anxiety that, that I'm kind of feeling now is sometimes an anxiety of more around what comes next. So as much as my life's become a bit slower, I'm kind of having having a strange response to to anxiety. I'm used to the hard, fast, lots of adrenaline in my body. Um, now I'm having to, I find that I'm getting anxious because I have less of that on an ongoing basis because my phone's not ringing off the hook, you know. Um, so sometimes I have, have, I'm fine for a long time and then I have these these sort of little spurts of anxiety, like, oh my word, what's going to happen next? Am I, you know, am I going to hear from my clients again soon? Um, how, how do we kind of think about the different levels of anxiety we have? Because I think like a lot of the people that I'm talking to, and I'm sure you are too, is our anxiety around this time of lockdown is quite different to potentially the anxiety we're used to dealing with in our day-to-day -day lives when they are what we would call kind of in a normal routine? Most of anxiety is because we have what we call an ego mind. And an ego mind is the, the part of our brain which tends to see everything as we think it should be. So everything that we've learned about what we see as being reality is the ego mind in terms of who we think we are and what we think should be taking place in the world. 
So our Westernized society has pretty much been taught that things should be constant, stable, permanent, and that we should be able to expect or know exactly what's going to happen in the future. When suddenly um, the part of our brain, which is the ego brain, is um, impacted by reality. So if we expect that the world to be stable and constant, but then suddenly the world is changing and transforming, the difference, the distance between our expectations and reality, it's like putting an elastic band between the two. So the longer the elastic band gets, in other words, the bigger the difference between expectation and reality, the greater the stretch is going to be. So the more the stretch, the greater the anxiety. It's what we call dissonance in the brain. So dissonance is what expectation and reality don't match up. So when expectation matches up with reality, then we have very little dissonance, and so we have very little anxiety. So you have an expectation that clients will be contacting you. You have an expectation that certain things are going to be happening in the world. And when they don't happen exactly as you expect, your body, your brain starts interpreting it as threatening. When it starts interpreting it as threatening, it starts creating adrenaline. The adrenaline gives you a physiological reaction, which you would then call, I'm now feeling anxious. And what's the difference between like when anxiety is good? Because I think some levels of anxiety do move us forward. They propel us to do the things we need to do. Um, what's the difference between like those good levels of anxiety and then when when anxiety starts getting a little bit problematic? How, how do we know whether um, our anxiety is kind of in the, the sort of fair to good range versus the getting potentially problematic space? Um, well, there are, there's definitely a degree of anxiety from what we would consider to actually be healthy anxiety all the way to immobilizing or traumatic or pathological anxiety. So very low levels of adrenaline in the bloodstream, um, they can actually be very empowering, they can be very motivating. So a certain amount of adrenaline in the bloodstream is really good for you. And we definitely see that there's actually a, a curve. So as anxiety levels go up, people's performance tends to go up. Their thinking becomes sharper, they become more creative, they become more energized. And so there are a lot of very positive things that happen with a certain amount of adrenaline in the bloodstream. But there's a certain point where the adrenaline levels get too high and it begins to overwhelm the person and then we go into immobilization. So really, when we're talking about healthy levels of anxiety, those would be the ones that create an amount of adrenaline which allows you to function very effectively to super effectively actually um, and then a turning point is reached and a person slowly becomes more and more immobilized because of the excessive amounts of adrenaline in the bloodstream. So what I do is I like to look at um, anxiety as having three broad levels. The first level of anxiety would be sort of the initiation phase where as the brain begins to see that there's something which is not matching up in terms of expectation it creates little spurts of adrenaline. So those little spurts of adrenaline will then be, the, the brain becomes more um, active. So it starts thinking more clearly. Um, actual vision even change. We start seeing things more clearly. Um, our hearing changes. So we have these very physiological changes which happen in the body. Um, some blood gets redirected from the stomach um, into the brain. So, and there are a lot of organs which actually almost like start closing down. So if we're not wasting energy um, on metabolism, we start using energy which is going into the brain and into the muscles. And it's effectively what we saw was the beginning of a fight or flight response. So the brain becomes alert, switched on, active, and very, very creative. So that's the first thing in anxiety is realizing that not all anxiety is bad. Some anxiety is highly beneficial. And we can use those low levels of anxiety to um, really achieve enormously. So, we, and, and this is the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to realize that sometimes we want anxiety in our lives to become more creative. And we find that in times of stress, like in times of war and probably in this time of corona, that actually people will become far more creative. We're going to find incredible leaps and changes taking place in society at a far more rapid rate. Um, and that is because the adrenaline that many people are sitting with is now being utilized in very constructive, um, positive ways. We're hearing more and more wonderful 
stories about you know new solutions new ways of doing things how how you know people are really putting their their minds and their energy into to creatively solving some kind of really massive problems so you know that might be kind of a really good shift as we come out of this and i think this is this is what people need to learn as to how to use anxiety constructively you know and to actually be able to stop anxiety from becoming the immobilizing anxiety. So what we normally have then is like after we've, once we've reached that peak anxiety where we're functioning at our peak level, adrenaline levels can then begin to, they can continue increasing. And the increasing anxiety now begins to put the body into a full-on fight or flight response. So the heart begins to pound far more actively. Vision becomes very, very focused. Things might become a little bit too bright. Sounds might become a little bit too noisy. Um, the body begins to feel agitated. It wants to start um, jiggling and not necessarily shaking, but actually moving. Um, people will often start moving body parts, their hands, their feet. They'll start um, tapping their feet, tapping their legs, um, and getting their body active because now the amount of adrenaline can no longer be burnt up effectively, starting to go into the muscles. So this is where we're going into the real fight or flight, um, and this can begin to become immobilizing. The biggest problem here is as people experience this increased adrenaline, mentally they begin to panic. So now the mind and body begin to work in a way which is not necessarily constructive. So the brain starts interpreting things as being out of control. It begins to feel it's not going to be able to manage what's arising. So the more you start thinking those negative thoughts, the more adrenaline you're going to get, and the more adrenaline you get, the more immobilized you become. And so that, those, that adrenaline level can continue to rise until eventually we get what we call pathological anxiety, and this is where someone will have a full-blown panic attack. So if we just are kind of being really practical and just thinking about some, some realities of that. So, you know, we all have our good anxiety. We understand what that is. We now start feeling ourselves or somebody we love or that's close to us or in proximity with us. You know, we're seeing these symptoms. We're seeing the, you know, the twitching. We, we've all, I'm sure, seen somebody in that kind of state at some point. Yeah, so some of the things you'll see is people will start wringing their hands. They'll start pacing backwards and forwards. They can't sit down. Um, they're very, very agitated. They can't think clearly. Their thoughts jump from one thought to another. Um, they can't sit and focus. They can't read. They can hardly even watch television. Um, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very agitated state. So then we go into the unhealthy, the unhealthy anxiety. Um, and this is really what we would sometimes call a panic attack. So panic, panic attacks for people are often incredibly terrifying. It's almost as though you are, um, you can see that you're in a safe pace, but it feels as though something like a lion has just jumped out in front of you and it's about to attack you. Um, and for no apparent reason, your body goes into a full-on fight or flight. So your heart begins to pound to an extent where some people can hear their heart. They feel as though it's going to jump out of their chest. They begin to hyperventilate, and they don't even know they're hyperventilating because they almost become unconscious. They disassociate. But they find that they're breathing very rapidly, um, but they feel they can't get enough oxygen. So there's almost a contradiction. So they start, so they start panting for breath. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack. I'm going mad. Um, with excessive amounts of oxygen in the system, they can sometimes get their fingers can curl up. They get what we call it's excessive amount of oxygen in the blood, and so their fingers and muscles begin to cramp. They get pins and needles in their nose and their lips and in any of their extremities. Um, it's, a, it's a terrifying experience, and what happens in the mind is I am dying, I am going mad, and I'm having a heart attack. And that sounds absolutely terrifying to be in that place. And I mean, I just think about now for people that might be alone going through all of that, you know, that, that, and I'm sure there are so many people all around the world that don't, you know, are not lucky enough to be kind of in lockdown with another human being. Um, and to get into that state and kind of not have anybody to, to help you or, or kind of bring you back down must must actually just make make 
kind of going from phase two to phase three almost even even more likely if you if you have the tendency generally to kind of be a worrier or a panicker or um, any of those things so I mean what do what do we do along the way or or how are we going to manage you know what do we look out for I mean how do we we how do we try and stay in that sort of phase one where we're being creative and and really serving ourselves well with the adrenaline that we have when we get a little bit panicky or have a little bit of anxiety how are we going to manage um kind of staying in that level between phase one where it's good phase two where we actually have a few warning bells going off so that we don't get to kind of that real panic attack situation and I think just hearing you describe it it's like oh you know, people use this terminology so freely today. I mean, you hear people going, oh, my God, I had such a panic attack about, you know, actually, no, you really didn't. Because when I hear you now talking about what a panic attack truly is, it just, it sounds horrendous, horrendous. So so how do we, you know, what do we do? So the thing is, let's work back from that. I mean, the first thing that people have to understand is that a panic attack is not dying. So you've got to know in your head, when you're getting those extreme symptoms of very, very high adrenaline levels, you are not dying. You've got to say that to yourself in your head. You've got to have the cognition. I am not dying. I am having a panic attack. The other thing they need to say is, I am not having a heart attack. And even though they may feel dizzy, people do not faint from hyperventilation. So the first thing is they've got to have the cognition and the thought that actually this is not death, and I'm not dying, and as a matter of fact, nothing can go wrong when you're having a panic attack. So on a physiological level, there is nothing dangerous about a panic attack. It's an overwhelming experience. Then what they need to do is they immediately need to slow down their breathing. So what I encourage people to do, if they have any of these symptoms, and if they're alone, to realize that a panic attack won't last for more than 10, 15 minutes, maybe half an hour maximum. And let me tell you, when you're having a panic attack, even three minutes seems like a lifetime. It can seem overwhelming. So you've got to now use your thought to actually manage a panic attack. Say to yourself, the amount of adrenaline I have in my body will disappear within the next 10, 15 minutes. I am not dying. I'm not going going mad. I'm going to be absolutely fine. If people have regular panic attacks, a good thing to do is to keep a paper bag around you to put it over your nose and mouth and breathe into a paper bag. The reason you're doing this is because you're trying to bring down the levels of oxygen that you're taking into your body. So it's often the excessive amount of oxygen going into the body that makes people feel dizzy and makes them feel worse. I mean, I suppose somebody who who is a who actually suffers from real panic attacks kind of gets used to the the rhythm and the feeling and and whatever. I mean, if you are going to have this for the first time, um, you know that it's going to come from left field and really, really take you by surprise. What is the likelihood of somebody who's not ever had panic attacks, um, kind of really going to this, the state where where they are that overwhelmed that they that they have a real full blown panic attack? It is quite a large population that actually have panic attacks, and panic attacks are often also associated with depression. Um, so many people who have depression, they will have a tendency or they could have panic attacks. It's, a si- it's one of the signs of depression. It's not actually a form, well, it's not seen as a form of anxiety. It's seen more as a form of expressed depression. So not everyone's going to go to a full-blown panic attack. So, But it is just worth realizing that if you do get any of those symptoms and that they are that extreme, the chances are very high that you're having a panic attack and not a heart attack. Heart attacks are very different in terms of their symptomology, and you're not going mad either. Um, madness or what you call schizophrenia is a very different sort of experience as well. So if you do get those symptoms, it's just about realizing that, and even if it's the first one you ever have and you've heard what these symptoms are, just say to yourself, this is probably a panic attack. Let me sit down. Let me sit this out for the next 15, 20 minutes. I will recover. I will be okay. Um, and then move on from there. So. Really, it's just a matter of calming yourself down, using your brain. 
because the worst thing you want to do is keep thinking, well, I was dying, I'm going to die, something's wrong with me, and then you might induce another panic attack. So what you really want to do is now you've got to start using your mind to stop panic attacks from happening. But yes, it's a minor minority of people that will be having a panic attack. But I'm just describing it for those few people who do get it. It's worth being aware of what a panic attack actually is so that they can manage it as it arises. And I think also for, for people that might experience that sort of second phase of anxiety to to also understand that they're not necessarily going to kind of head to a full-blown panic attack if they are also, again, conscious of what's going on with their bodies. Um, it, it makes me think about how even on the Optimal Me during our wonderful movement program, how we often talk about listening to your body and people actually think that we just are talking woo-woo. You know, I mean, who? what do you mean listen to your body? Like, how do I listen to my body? So what's just so incredible is that listening to your body and becoming aware about what is going on in your body and how your body is feeling and what your body is doing, whether it's while you're moving or whether it's kind of physiological stuff that's going on, is just really a skill that everyone should actually be focusing on. It's not woo-woo. It is actually probably one of the, the most important things that we should all be thinking about is how do we learn to pay attention and listen to our bodies? Because, you know, it can help us in so many ways, not not only physically, but also mentally. Uh, absolutely, Liz. I mean, this is the whole most amazing thing about anxiety is when once you understand what anxiety is and um, the sort of path that it can follow, the realization is that we are completely in control of our own anxiety levels. But there are definite skills, there are definite ways of thinking which can truly help you deal with anxiety so you can stay within that sort of optimal anxiety level, which is going to make you far more functional and effective. So what you're talking about is the skills that people can learn. And one of them is to begin to listen to their bodies, to be in touch with their bodies, and to begin to manage their thoughts and manage the way they think about things. So what I'm really saying is that there's something really positive about this, is that once you realize that it's actually your thoughts which is creating the anxiety, you can then use thoughts and a few other skills to manage anxiety should it start arising. So I think what would, what would be really interesting to me, and I mean, I'm just grateful that as much as I'm, I'm really good at dealing with, with stress, I mean, I've had a lot of stress I've spent kind of probably my whole life really, you know, learning how to manage it, you know, how not to kind of really dive into that sort of place of fear, because I think that that often is something, it's kind of a natural space to go to when things are different, when things are changing, um, you know, when the stock market's plummeting, people are losing their jobs, kind of left and right. We just don't know whether or not we're going to get sick or not. Um you know, people have been extraordinary in the last while sharing their stories of how they're experiencing um, their illness if they've got it, um, you know, the things that they go through. And and it's as much as it's helpful, it can also be quite a debilitating thing to, to think about my word. If I'm going to kind of be alone and have those level of fevers that, that you're hearing people talk about. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think, anxiety and fear, I'm sure... Um, kind of go hand in hand. Um, so so we're, we're now, I mean, if we go back to talking around that space of we're, we're kind of between that real optimal anxiety level and, and phase two, where we are heading into kind of real sort of that mid-range of fight or flight, what are kind of some practical things that we can think about doing that can, you know, that, that it just, we can practice, you know, that we can go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive about this maybe. And, you know, in this time, think about these things and, and start putting certain actions or ac things in place so that it becomes, that we just keep it under control actually. And it becomes part of what we do in this, in this crazy time. And hopefully it's a good thing we take out of this, um, you know, when life returns to whatever our new normal is going to be. What we call, there would be sort of skills training that you could do, um, which would actually help you deal with anxiety. But skills training often requires practice and it requires having done them before the anxiety hits or before the anxiety begins. Things like 
doing breath work, learning how to manage your breath and manage your breathing. And there are there are a number of breath work things you can do or courses that you can do to learn how to manage breath. Another is meditation. Meditation, it's a lot of work to learn to meditate effectively, but it's well worth it. It is one of, and it's scientifically found to be the most effective technique to help people deal with anxiety and stress. Meditation is another one of those things. And I have spent my life trying to meditate. I have gone and, you know, spent money doing courses, etc. In my, I mean, I am very much in my head all the time. You know, I, I, I never stop thinking. I problem solve while I sleep. My mind is just active. Whether it's in a wonderful way or whatever it's doing, my mind doesn't stop. So even that time of, okay, I'm now going to do my, you know, the 20 minutes in the morning or whatever of a transcendental meditation thing, or I find medit I've never managed to do it. So for me, the breath work part is something kind of that that I find a whole lot easier. So I think what people are going to need to do with the whole meditation piece is is kind of practice and try things out. Um, and even if you can't meditate, because I think sometimes med trying to meditate can actually in itself induce anxiety because having, an, you know, getting into that place where you are, where you're not thinking about anything and you're blowing away your thoughts and you, it, it's not easy on any level. And as I, you know, so, I mean, some people are fantastic. I, I did a transcendental meditation course with a colleague and I mean, he used to just kind of slip into it. It used to infuriate me when we would discuss, oh, you know, are you still with it? And he, oh, fantastic. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm, you know, staring northeast or whichever way it is and I'm really trying to clear my head and blow away my thoughts it was it made me more irritated and anxious than actually for me breath work is something that I can do and I can because I'm counting I'm not thinking about anything else except counting and I'm kind of doing that deep breathing so I think anyone who's listening if you are a if you are lucky enough to be able to to have kind of learned to meditate well I, I mean, I, and I think it's the best thing. But if you can't quite get to that place, um, you know, the, the real deep diaphragmatic breathwork exercises definitely do help. And some for some people will be easier or at least manageable, you know. So I think what, what you're saying is also very accurate is people have different skills that work for them differently. And so for you, breathwork may work for you. So then keep practicing that particular skill because that works for you. Someone that meditation works for, keep practicing meditation because that works for you. And the other one which people can learn is what we call thought stopping. It's from cognitive behavior psychotherapy, where you actually learn to manage your thoughts. So thought stopping is another technique you can use. But these are, as I say, these are the skills that you really need to do. You can learn them now, but I think they're the sort of skills you need to learn when you're at peace, um, when you're not in a frenetic space. Um, and when you have the time to actually learn the skills, because like all skills, it's like you've got to fit in yourself up on it. So the more breath work you do, the more effective you become at breath work. The more meditation you do, the more effective, the more thought blocking, the more effective. So it just it just makes complete sense that these are the skills that people can practice. But in the meantime, I suppose what we need to look at is that people who may not have those skills. So if you do have the skills, great. Utilize them. Absolutely. If you don't have the skills, then we need to look at actual practical things on a day-to-day -day level now that are going to keep your anxiety levels down, that are going to help you manage to remain in an optimal um, anxiety level. So in other words, you can be energized, you can be creative, um, you can be motivated, um, and you can move towards um, having a better life going through this, this pandemic and even afterwards. And that, that is what I think we should actually discuss is practical things that people can do right now to help them manage um, the potential stresses that are that are arising. All right. So, I mean, I, I know we did have a discussion about this previously. Um, so you gave me some really good advice that I've been putting into practice um, in terms of my team from work and then also in my in my personal life. And I mean, for, for me and for many people, you know, my team is all obviously working remotely now. Um, we've had some practice because 
our optimal team is all around the world. So we, you know, we we're used to kind of having set times that we call in and and you know use all the wonderful technology that's available for remote meetings. Um, but what I've just made certain of is that we kind of have this very real structure in terms of our day, Monday to Friday. Um, and, you know, I kind of track how we're going as a team and I might say to everybody, okay, you know, let's have an extra extra couple of hours break today because, you know, you need to get to the shops or do whatever. Um, and then, and, and to keep a weekend. So so we, we kind of doing that and we've really set some real structure in our in our days um and i think you know people are talking about that a lot about structure you know making sure that you stick to what you do um and i think something that i that i want to kind of come back to maybe just a bit later is is kind of the the sort of in terms of our lockdown because i think it's it's easy in week one to be doing all the good things we're going to talk about but how do you really set goals and stick to them um so, so outside of structure, what are some of the things that we need to be doing, all of us? Shutdown or lockdown is really only, it's, it's meant to only be 21 days, but I think for, in many countries and certainly in South Africa, it's more than likely to be extended. So the first thing is to have that as an expectation. So when reality doesn't match expectation, you don't become stressed again. So rather think that maybe this could continue for longer, and if it does continue for longer, I can still manage it. Most habits take approximately six weeks to form. So within four weeks, it's going to have to be mindfulness. In other words, you've got to actively remind yourself to do these things, like have a routine, do your exercise, um, um, eat healthily, and all the things that I'm going to mention now, and I'll give you a list of the things that you should possibly do over this period of time. But it isn't going to be a habit, so it is going to be something that you're going to have to put energy into doing. You're not going to wake out of bed and just fall into the habit of, you know, living at home, just being in your house, possibly by yourself, and feel completely comfortable about it. It's going to feel out of sorts. And things only feel start feeling in sorts once it becomes a habit. You know, so you've got to realize that everyone's going to be going through the same transformation. Everyone's going to be finding it quite gritty to push themselves and keep motivated to do this for longer than the first week. And if we've got to do it for six weeks, we have to do it for six weeks. And it, by the time six weeks comes, we're all going to be habituated to it. And when we get released from our houses, we're not going to know what to do because the new habit would have been um, formed, possibly. But anyway, so what I would suggest, firstly, which is the one you've already mentioned, which most people go into, is that you do need to have a, a weekly routine, a week and a weekend routine. So what I suggest is people try and stick to the routines that they had that they had during their before the lockdown happened. In other words, if you get up at six in the morning, get up at six in the morning. Do your normal breakfast routine. Get dressed in the same way. Do not slump around in your PJs. Rather put on clothes as though you're going to work. If you want to put on makeup or make yourself look good as well, do all of those things. You know, eat the normal breakfast routine and keep to that sort of routine that you had. So it's quite a good idea because that's already habituated in us. So our brain recognizes it, which means it's less stressful. So stick to that routine. Then preferably go to a space where you can do work, which would be a new area possibly if you haven't been working at home. Go to that area and start doing your work. Now, once again, stick to your day, daily routine that you would have had at work. In other words, if you have a tea break, have a tea break, lunch break, lunch break. Do things as close to as what you used to do. And then what you need to do, if you haven't got as close you as your normal routine, you must introduce exercise and movement. Exercise and movement is one of the most important ways to burn up adrenaline. Remember, all we're trying to do is reduce adrenaline levels in order that it reduces anxiety levels. So exercise burns up adrenaline, especially if you can get yourself to sweat. So some people don't have a lot of space, but things you can do, you can put on music and you can dance. You can jump up and down, you can skip, you can do push-ups, you can do sit-ups, um, any sort of movement. You can do your housework very rapidly, you know, vacuum cleaning, polishing, wiping. Do it at a high speed, cleaning windows, um, packing cupboards. Um, all of these things don't sound very exciting, but as a matter of fact, what you do is you need to start seeing them as exercise. You need to, see, you need to keep your body moving and preferably get your body to sweat 
um, if we can get it to that level. And what's quite interesting is that we've been working quite hard for the last few months on on building out um, a, a, a movement course on optimal. So um, it's it's a twenty. We we kind of have gone to twenty one days um, because a lot of our research was showing that that's sort of a very easy habit if you can do for twenty one days. You've laid the foundation. It's certainly not embedded, but if it's if it's a simple thing um, like exercise is a simple thing. Um, you really, you know, you can you can have laid the groundwork for a really good, um, a really good habit. You know, if you keep going afterwards. And I think um, the one thing that that's amazing that I I find because obviously I I suffer a lot with with kind of tension and in my neck and my shoulders because you know we spend a lot of time on our computers. I think even now with people slipping in front of the TV, uh, sitting so much. I mean, I just think people are. You know, you're not even walking from your car to the office or, you know, to the train station or whatever it is. I mean, people are just sitting that kind of challenging yourself to to never mind do obviously our wonderful kind of movement routines that we have on Optimal that that answer to all of those things. Um, kind of also to take your mind off stuff. I mean, it's just so interesting to hear you talking about music, which was why I actually interrupted you, is that. We always have had this this feeling from when we started that music. I mean, music does just lift your mood when you hear a great song, or you you know it it just does you the world of good. You can be really you know it can make you very sad and miserable if you want to, and you can find sad songs and and kind of go into that place. But but the energy of you know the energy of great music is is wonderful, and you know kind of doing all all sorts of things to your body kind of as your brain absorbs the, the sound and the composition. So, um, yeah, we also always like to to kind of say dance. And the other the other thing that's so interesting is we talk a lot on Optimal about, you know, being functional because that really as, as midlifers and as we head into old age is kind of what we believe the most important thing to be, that you can still twist, bend, you know, move around, have really good balance and flexibility and mobility in your joints. Um, as well as strength, because we know that that's kind of what starts falling apart. Um, but the the most functionally fit and healthy people anywhere in the world are housekeepers, people that work in hotels and as cleaners and housekeepers are the most functionally fit, balanced, flexible, mobile people. So, I mean, as much as you know, the thought of washing a window. Well, thankfully, it's raining today, so we're off the hook for that. Um, you know, those sort of things during, you know, to, to even add into your routine, I think, even if you've got a Monday to Friday work routine, I think sitting in your home at your computer, like for those long stretches of time, normally at work, you would get up and go and talk to a colleague or you would get up and go and get your lunch or, you know, you wouldn't, you would move a little bit as opposed to just sitting there on conference calls, which so many people are doing right now. I mean, they are on conference calls from morning to night. Um, so I think even in between those to kind of try and even if it's a five minute little burst of movement or, you know, dusting a shelf or whatever. I mean, I suppose that also would keep those anxiety level and adrenaline levels kind of in control if you make it, not just your morning thing, okay, I'll work out for an hour in the morning, but to sort of really add it kind of a few times during your day, even if it's five minutes at a time. No, absolutely. I mean, I think any form of movement is really good for us human beings. We never evolved to be sedentary creatures. We are, we are an animal which actually does need to keep moving. So, yes, moving between, you know, backwards and forwards in the house, going up and down steps, doing everything you can to actually move your body is really good. And then I think doing the Optimal Me exercise program is really fantastic, along with things like yoga, um, Pilates, and any of the other potential courses that you can find on the Optimal Me to actually be able to do um, all of the movement that you require. But there are a few other things which are also really important at this time besides the exercise, and that is about eating as well. Remember what you put into your body determines how your body reacts. So if you're going to put a lot of sugars, a lot of caffeine, um, a lot of carbohydrates into your body. It's going to stress your body once a day, once again, increasing 
the adrenaline levels, which is what we're trying to bring down. So be very mindful of eating and what you put into your body over this period of time. Because under stress, most people want to tend to put junk foods into their body, which just makes their adrenaline levels go higher which increases their stress, stress levels and therefore anxiety. That comfort eating thing. I mean, there's not a person that I talk to that isn't like, oh, you know, we just want this or we just want that. Or now they're at home. So they've actually also got time to like be making really delicious, you know, baked goods and things that they wouldn't normally even begin to do. So I think that um, there is so much like really good information about, you know, eating and, and what to eat and, and how to eat. Um, and just smaller portions, people, while we sit so much, smaller portions. And then the other thing people need to really avoid is alcohol and drugs. Many people have seen this as an opportunity to sit back, watch their TVs, drink alcohol, possibly do other drugs. And I would strongly encourage people at this time to avoid alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. It is a depressant. It might for a short period of time, reduce your anxiety because you're slightly disassociated through it. But as soon as you land again, your anxiety levels will go up and your levels of depression will increase. And people that are doing any form of other drugs, I would strongly suggest that definitely at this time, you try and avoid those because it's going to be very hard living in a community or living with other people or sharing a space or even being alone and actually having the come down effects of alcohol and drugs. So be very mindful if you're going to drink. Be very mindful if you're going to take drugs that all it's going to do is increase your stress levels and make things far more tricky for you. So I'd strongly suggest that you do that. Other things to do is have projects and have goals. You know, if as human beings we have a goal, we have a direction we're moving towards and we can see ourselves moving in that direction and succeeding in that direction, it also reduces our anxiety levels. So Try and give yourself some goal. Try and give yourself some project that might not necessarily be work stuff. It might be hobby-based. So give yourself possibly a new hobby, something that you've wanted to do, never done. And it could be anything. It could be knitting. It could be sewing. It could be stamp collecting. Whatever you've got around you to be able to um, actually find an interest in art, creativity. Creativity is a great thing to do as well because creativity reduces stress. So try and do something creative. People go, oh, but I'm not creative. You know, I, I, I'm, I've never been a creative person. I'm not creative. Um, I, you know, I can't do those things. And I think now is really a time to, to just try. You know, I mean, what is creativity? It's different things to different people. And that kind of space, I don't necessarily think that, that now is a space where, you know, no, you're alone. No one's judging what you're going to be doing. No one's going to say, oh, my God, that person tried to draw a picture. Did you see how terrible it was? Or, you know, they colored in that coloring book, but mm, their color schemes are so vile, you know, they really should not do it. So I think a lot of the time in our day-to-day -day lives, we're so um, critical of our work or, or we've got such firm ideas of who we are and what we can and can't do because we were told, oh, you know, you're, you know, you're left brain, not right brain, or you create, you know, you're, you're very good at maths and science. You're not so creative. I think that, you know, if everyone in this time can also just think about the fact that all of us are creative in some way and just kind of have the freedom to experiment with whatever those creative things are, because it's so easy to, to just go, well, I'm, you know, I'm really rubbish at this and I'm rubbish at that. And I'm Liz, I think what you're saying is, is really beautiful because it's very, very true is that creativity is not about necessarily creating incredible things. Creativity is about, using the side of the brain that you don't normally use. So many logical people don't use part of their brain. And this is a great opportunity to use that brain. It's not about creating a masterpiece. It's not about um, making something which is absolutely beautiful or absolutely unique. It's about accessing a part of your brain that you often don't access. So creativity is not about the outcome. Creativity is about the process of actually using a part of the brain that you don't normally utilize. So when we start doing that, we once again are going to be reducing our um, adrenaline levels. Um, there's another thing which I think is quite important is people staying in contact with other people. Human beings, by our nature, are very social. Um, we do need to have contact. We do need to feel that we're part of um, a community, that we're part of a family, that we're part of a relationship, that we're part of friendships. We do need to feel that we belong. And all of us at some place belong 
it's just a matter of finding where that place is. You know, so even if you might be sitting alone inside an apartment, you do need to try and create face-to-face -face contact. So Zooming people, Skyping people, WhatsApping people face-to-face, -face, WhatsApp. Try and see the other person's face um, so you can see their body language, you can see their facial expressions. It makes us feel connected as a species. So having contact is a, an incredibly important thing. And if you are in a space where you are with other people or even with yourself, touch is very important. You know, so if you're by yourself, then actually massage yourself, rub yourself down with oil, have a bath, you know, do some physical things with yourself, you know, massage your head, massage your face, massage your feet, um, do things where you're actually touching yourself, do you manicure, pedicure, any of those things which is often seen as, as sort of luxuries that we don't have time to do. Now is an important time to do that to yourself. If you are with other people, touch other people, hold other people, hug other people obviously appropriately. Um, if you've got pets and animals, spend time with your pets and animals, stroking them, holding them, touching them. Physical contact is very important for our mental well-being and it also definitely brings down our adrenaline levels. So physical contact is quite important. So try and have as much of that as possible. Even, even connecting with other living things like plants, fish, birds, if you have any of those in your house, spend a lot of time talking to them, talk to your plants, massage your plants, feed your plants, even make, if you've got some seeds and beans, everyone seems to have dried beans at the moment, sprout your beans, grow your brie beans, have something that you can see growing. You know, so it's really, these are just little things that you can do just to fill your time, keep you connected, feel that you're part of a world which is continuing. It isn't dying. We're not at a death state. We're actually all growing. And it can be an incredible opportunity to grow at the moment rather than just see it as, you know, the apocalypse and the end of time, which it certainly is not. The growing thing, I think, is is fantastic because it just also, it kind of gives a little bit of encouragement and anticipation for kind of, what am I going to see tomorrow? Um, you know, it's difficult to even think about it until you, you experience it. Like, you know, if, I mean, not everybody, unfortunately, we're kind of in this lockdown. But, you know, to, to be able to even, you know, as you say, plant some seeds, get your hands in the soil, you know, have to nurture something, have to water something, have to take care of it, I think also is incredibly rewarding um, as it as it sort of unfolds and unfolds. So I think that sort of sense of being able to look forward to something that that just surprises you with a little gift every day or every second day is kind of also a beautiful experience because it's not something we ever have much time for um, in our in our day-to-day -day lives. You know, we might garden on the weekends or, or do those things, but we we kind of not we don't get to pay such attention. Absolutely. That's a, that's a beautiful way of putting it. It's actually looking forward. It gives you a sense of anticipation of something to look forward to, of something that you're moving towards once again, is to, you know, watch your sprouts sprouting, you know. So these sound like little things, but actually if you put them all together, you can really create quite a lifestyle out of being alone and out of, out of and being in a position where you are in lockdown. Another thing to do is, is, is to try and get some, some sun on your body like vitamin d is also very important for us um, in terms of our stress levels and i mean even people that don't get enough vitamin d they suffer from something called sad um, which is effectively a psychological disorder um, which is affected from a lack, lack of sunlight on the body um, and it shows up very similar symptoms to depression so even if you don't have a garden or anywhere you can get out on if you can get onto a balcony even if you can open your window you do need to get the sunlight not through a window but preferably with an open window so if you can even open a window if you can get sunlight onto you in some way try and spend about 10-15 minutes a day where you're just getting sunlight onto your body as well and just once again experiencing that there is something going on out there in the world that growth is happening and life is still continuing really important yeah just not in the midday people um, our our midlife skins are not looking for midday sun. We you know we we often recommend sun baths in the in the morning and in the late afternoon. Um, not the midday when we're going to um, especially for those of us that are well. I mean our summer's coming to an end in the southern hemisphere, but in the north you're heading for for spring and and kind of good sunshine. So no midday <laughs> sunshine. Um, 
And then another another amazing thing for the brain to do is to be grateful and have gratitude. But also scientific research has shown that people who utilize gratitude often feel much better about themselves in their life. So all of us have things to be grateful for, small things and big things. And I encourage people once again during this lockdown period is to actually write down every day like three things to have gratitude for and just spend a bit of time, five, ten minutes, just meditating on the gratitude, on what an amazing thing is to have eyes that work, you know, you know, to have a tongue that can taste, you know, to have a body that can move, you know, to have a brain that can think, you know, to have people in your life that you love, you know, to have a shelter or a roof over your head. You know, there's a lot of very simple things that we should always be grateful for. Just sometimes being alive, sometimes we don't always feel like it because we might be in a state of depression. But there's still an enormous gratitude of just actually being able to be on this earth and expo expose ourselves to some of the incredible things that are also happening on this world. You know, so I think just try and do every day, write down three things that you can be grateful for. And then they can be simple little things, small things, you know. And just find those things and hold on to them and just be grateful for that experience, um, I think, on a day-to-day -day level. Because that's also shown to be very positive in terms of, our, uh, of how our brains function and how we feel about ourselves in life. Well, and I, on that, I think on that note, we'll, maybe we'll wrap this up. And I'm very grateful and I'm sure everyone who listens to this will be very grateful that you would share your time with us this morning. Um, I know that that we're all kind of battling through this but you are on the front lines and you and all the other kind of people that are helping with physical health and mental health and getting getting people some of whom are really battling and having a, a horrid treacherous time through this um so so thank you very much for spending time talking to us and what i'd love to do is invite you to talk to me again because one of the things our members are talking about quite a lot is how they're coping with their relationships and um, whilst that can also be quite a dark topic there is a lot of funny stuff coming out of kind of people living um, in captivity as it were together that haven't done that for a jolly long time um, and are, are having either the joy of getting to to experience getting to know one another again and, and kind of to feel what it's like to live in that space or that are battling, you know, that, that are finding it tricky and tough. So um, when you get your next gap, um, I'd love it if you would chat to us about that. Um, I'm sure that there will be lots of very grateful people out there um, who are looking for some good tips to get through um, relationships in lockdown. Uh, absolutely. There's an absolute pleasure. I'll, I'll do that with you guys as well. So, um, we'll set up another time and um, talk about relationships next.